Hello and welcome to Running the Table, an ongoing podcast about running and playing tabletop role-playing games. I'd like to thank all of you who have asked questions, and if you'd like to ask some of your own, you can email them to rttpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can ask them directly to Running the Table on both Facebook or Twitter. I'm your host, Keith, and today I have with me my guest, Rick, with Unruly Arcana. Unruly Arcana is an RPG content and apparel company just getting off the ground. Hello, Rick. Thank you for coming on. Uh, thank you for having me. So let's get a little bit of, uh, let's get started with just a little bit more about yourself for our listeners in case they haven't heard of Unruly Arcana or anything like that. All right. Uh, well, like you said, I'm Rick. Uh, I started a company with at Catrian uh, Donnelly on Twitter, if you are familiar with her. She's my wife. Um, we started the company with apparel, making T-shirts that are role-playing related, and we're spreading mm -hmm. out into content, uh, guides, uh, adventure modules, uh, and eventually we're looking to expand our media into YouTube. Very cool. Uh, how, how exactly did Unruly Arcana get started? What's Is there a nice long story behind oh. that? Uh, a little bit of one. Um, <laughs> about two years ago now, give or take, almost two years ago, uh, I had a workplace injury. So I've, I've been disabled mm -hmm. for a couple of years. And I found myself with time on my hands. Um, me and my wife both love Dungeons and Dragons and role-playing games in general. So we decided to turn some of that time and passion into a business that I may be able to do in my current physical condition. Very cool. Very, uh, very nice that you'd worked with that. Um, now, the next question is getting more into the meat of this show. So, as, as you've uh, no doubt aware, and as our listeners are no doubt aware, we tend to discuss more on the playing side and the running side. Um, not to say that making the modules isn't also incredibly interesting. But that leads us into this first question. Uh, what is your favorite monster, enemy, or obstacle? from any tabletop role-playing game that you've ever run or played? Um, generally, I would say humanoids because they're very flexible. You can do just about anything with them. Uh, getting down to specifics, it was a NPC that I created as a, as a BBEG mm -hmm. uh, named Lord Tressum. Now, Lord Tressum. Uh, Tressum. Tressum. Sorry. Yes. Um, he was by far the most interesting and me and me and the group had a good run with him. Uh, basically he was insane. Um, <laughs> but I mean, he, the good, the good big bads usually are. Yeah. But what, what made him interesting though, is it wasn't per se like evil or power. Um, in this, in the storyline we had set up, Basically, his whole family, he was a, a noble uh, by birth, so to speak, but long before, generations before, his whole family had all but been wiped out. 
uh, house vol style, if you will. Um, and he actually found out about his nobility through his studies. He was a scholar. Uh, he, he went to petition to get, uh, title and rights back for his kids. And they basically, uh, told him he was crazy. And the intelligence agencies for the, the couple of kingdoms he went to tried to quiet him down, ended up, uh, killing off his wife and kid. And it just drove him nuts. Uh, so he, he used his knowledge from being a scholar uh, to try to take revenge on the royal families. Uh, oh. And and the group, like where it came in, was that they had arranged, uh, through role play and diplomacy, they had arranged a summit between the kingdoms that were having some problems on neutral ground and mm -hmm. brought a bunch of the royals together. And as a DM, I couldn't pass that up. <laughs> so, so someone had to make a run at him, and it ended up being Lord Tressum. Um, but you know, it started out with some real devious, uh, nefarious ancient magic items causing problems for the royals and nearly wiping them out. And it ended with him, uh, riding out of a barn wearing his family's ancient, uh, armor flying their banner on an old nag, uh, charging the party. And the that's best very, part, uh, that's very Don Quixote. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, and the best part is they didn't kill him man. they subdued him <laughs> and, and got him mental help. <laughs> so, so it, it was a blast all the way around. Fantastic. I, I have to ask, uh, because this is, um, something I'm always curious about whenever big, bad, evil guys come up. Did you give him an accent? Uh, yes. Yes. A, a slight accent. Um, maybe a mix. The best way I could describe it is a mix between uh, like a lower English Cockney uh, with a little bit of an Irish lilt. Okay. I can imagine it. it just, just something that made him unique from the other accents in the setting. I, I'm not great with voices, but I do them. But everyone in certain regions typically sound the same. I wanted him to stand out. Most of my, my big bads. I do that. Very fun. I, I, uh, I think that you've got a pretty good knack for something that I've, I think I've talked about on the show before, which is knowing when, when to use voices and how to keep them accurate. Uh, I find that a lot of people tend to just give every notable character a different accent as a way to distinguish them but saying you know people from this area kind of sound like this and people from this area kind of sound like this and the big bad evil guy sounds like neither of them that works really well yeah well it, it, it it's worked well for me in the past um and it helps differentiate you know it, it helps make them stand out just a little bit but not be completely foreign unless they're meant to be yeah, I yeah, my my major concern with accents has in the past been all right, you've got four or five different villains and they all sound like they're from different areas, but it turns out that they're all from the same city. That sounds weird. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um you lose a little bit of continuity there. Uh, for me anyway. If if yeah. my if my villains are connected geographically, they're going to sound similar. They're going to each have their own voice. They're going to uh, perhaps take influence from 
where they spent time, what have you, but they're all going to sound similar so that there's that, that continuity, that connection to them. Yeah. And I personally think that you can do a lot with just, Hey, uh, this person can make these kinds of word choices. You know, they're, they use big words. This one doesn't. Oh yeah, absolutely. Use, use word choices, use phrasings even. Um, yeah use grammar you can go from uh you know an english style grammar to a malaysian switch a few mm. words and people understand it but it definitely sets them apart definitely and kind of on the uh idea of making this big bad evil guy and uh getting characters kind of differentiated this leads into our next question that we have uh so what are your favorite ways to build characters stats wise i know that every game has different ways to do it and i'd like to hear some of them um you know i i've been role playing since the early 90s i've tried quite a few if not all of them um mm -hmm. right now honestly i prefer the point by system i know some people aren't a big fan okay. but uh, it helps balance the table for me. It, it makes it easier to balance encounters as a DM. Not to mention you don't get someone that's stuck with the character that they just feel like they can't do anything with. Yeah. I mean, point by is, is usually a really great way to go about it to make sure that everybody's kind of at an even playing field. Um, I have in the past, and this is actually taken from a Dungeon Master friend of mine, run a point by system where you buy the points and then you select one stat and you reduce it to the point where you have a negative modifier. Okay. And the the goal behind this is that you have everybody kind of, all right, you're all, you know, above the common people, but everybody has that one area that they're just not that good in. Oh, a absolutely. And it, it does vary game to game for me, but generally speaking, I do at least uh, suggest kind of nudge the players in that direction. Um, mm -hmm. I don't don't generally make it a hard and fast rule, but but most of them don't mind taking a penalty. Uh, the only yeah. thing I try to avoid is, you know, having a negative three or whatever, because you rolled <laughs> super low. Yeah. And, and uh so that one, the point buy and then make one your dump stat, uh, comes with a trade-off. Uh, I believe that in one campaign, we gave everybody a feat at the beginning. In another, we let them increase another one by however much they were reducing their lowest. A way to make it more balanced. Uh, but it also is very much about who you're playing with. If you know that your players are going to accept this kind of interaction or not. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and like I say, it does vary table to table, game to game. Uh, if I know my players, then they're going to they're going to have no problem with it. Neither am I. Um, if, if it's with a random group, I don't push it as much just to mm -hmm. to kind of create a little bit more harmony, because there are people that that would take that personally. Yeah, so I mean, and, and nothing against like power gamers or anything like that. Power gamers wouldn't want you to forcibly reduce one of their stats and they should be allowed to have that you know that kind of want they don't want to be made to be weak yeah my my idea at the table is everyone 
should be having fun first and foremost. And yeah. And that includes power gamers. That includes the actor types. That includes uh, everyone, you know? So if, if it's going to bother them, I'm not going to push it because uh, in the I, end we're playing make-believe it's a game. Just, yeah. I just have fun with it. I totally agree. It, it's meant to be fun. Uh, and these are just other ways to spice it up and make it fun in a different way. Uh, and oh, if absolutely. people aren't having fun with it, then well, clearly we don't need to do that. Um, yeah, abs- absolutely. And to talk about a point that you brought up earlier, the negative three on a roll, that is why I have instituted another kind of house rule that I've used in the past. When people want to roll for their stats, uh, I don't allow them to have a negative, below a negative two modifier. If they roll that poorly, they re-roll. And, and that's not a bad system. I, I would go for that. I would happily go for that. Um, it, I could see for some of the games I've run, I could see it still creating some balance issues. Uh, but it, a lot of that comes from my years of experience. Like I've, I've seen rolls where I've rolled, you know, the roll, roll four die sixes and drop the lowest one, do it seven times, drop the lowest one. And they still got, you know, all 11s and 12s across the board. Um, and I've seen it where it's just roll three die sixes straight and every roll was 14 or higher. Yeah, I have also seen both of those. Um, and really, it's it's at a point where you might want to just kind of work with players, see what you can do to balance everything. Or maybe that's okay in your world. Who's yeah, to say? It, yeah, it, it, it really varies table to table. If, if I'm at a table where I know everyone's cool with it, then that's fine. If they, if they see low stats as a challenge, that is amazing. But... If I'm at a table, once again, going back to the power gamers and such and the optimizers, if that's going to bother them, then for me, it makes more sense just to go point by. Yeah. And as always, adjust to your players. You know what they would be comfortable with. But it, it's I, definitely, uh, there's definitely options out there and each of them can be fun in their own way. And that kind of brings us into something else. Uh, how can you adjust these kinds of things when you've got a brand new player joining? So the question is, we have a brand new player joining our experienced group. What are some ways I can introduce them to the game without slowing it down for everyone else? Uh, for me, I've, I've tried different methods. I've tried just the, the drop them in, hit the ground running. I've tried... Uh, you know, running a couple of separate sessions with them just solo and then working them in so that they have a feel. But what I've found works best for me is simplifying things for them if they've never played and basically simulating that that level up process from level one. Like if, say, if the group's level eight, I start them at level eight, but I, I give them a simplified character sheet just with the stats they need so that there's not, you know, 30 things they got to try to sort through. Um, and I'll give them a few abilities. Obviously, if they want to use whatever their character has, they can, but I basically go, okay, your character's good at this and this, it's not so good at this. And uh, here's three or four things that they can do that they'll probably do regularly. And then if you want to do something else, ask me, you know, and, and I'll give you a role for it. And that kind of lets them develop it naturally on their own. And then you can even push a nudge like, 
you can kind of nudge them in the right direction at certain times when they're getting real comfortable with, with what they're using. Go, you know, your character can also do this. You know, yeah. would would you like to do this? For me, for brand new players coming into an experience group, that's what I've had the most luck with. Very interesting. Um, and one thing that I, I have seen is uh, sitting down with a new player outside of an, a normal session and making the character with them. Uh, that has helped some of the new players that I've brought into groups pretty immensely sitting down and being like, all right, so this is what you can do right now. Let's say that you got a little bit better. This is what you'd be able to get more and more as you go on and on and on. Uh, and then kind of letting them have that there, but specifically calling out because you made the character with them doing the same kind of thing, you know, hey, you can do this. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I'll set aside, unless they just want to do it on their own, uh, I'll set aside with a brand new player every time and help them build yeah. their character. More so what I meant by simplifying is, you know, say a straight fighter, that doesn't really need to be simplified. But say they want to play a... A, a spellcaster, a druid, a wizard, what have you, their first character, I go, okay, that's great. Let's let's make one up. But then sometimes, say, the spells or the abilities start getting overwhelming for them. I go, okay, well, here's a couple of offensive spells and a defensive spell you'd use in fighting. Here's one you could use for utility kind of deal. Um, yeah. And uh, I know that some DMs kind of frown on the these, but for a new player especially... Having the spell cards that are being made now can oh, absolutely. help a lot. Yes, yes, they can. Uh, I have a deck setting in my stuff just for that. I, I don't use it generally with more experienced players because they just start calling it out. But uh, for someone who needs the reference or a brand new player, they are a tremendous tool. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's, it is night and day. I have one group that is almost entirely newbies and one group that is almost entirely experienced folk and the experienced folk calling out spells. It's just, I do Eldritch Blast, roll, here's damage, done. A, a newbies, lot of times, yeah. Yeah, newbies, it's, all right, I'm going to cast Eldritch Blast. Let me find it. I need to read it. I need to know what it does. And then they read it off and they do the damage and it's like, well, you're actually level five, so you get another damage roll that you can also target somebody else with, et cetera. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it definitely helps them find it a lot faster, and the information's right in front of them. Yeah. Um, so. I, I've even done, I don't have uh, a deck besides the spells, but I've even done that for feats a time or two. Yeah. Uh, and so I actually have uh, spell cards as well, that I never use, but I hand out when needed. Hey, we got that in common. Great minds think alike. <laughs> I'm, I'm not uh, sure how I'm thinking like you, but, but, but it works. And in, in the vein of uh, making characters, I do want to share, uh, some of you may be aware of the YouTuber um, Animated Spellbook. He has a great story about the first character he ever made. 
And the very first time that he played that character with some Gygaxian OG players. Uh, I definitely recommend giving it a listen if you're curious about this topic as well. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's a great, great video. Yeah, we won't go of, into the story here and spoil no, it. No, but. no, of course. It, I, I will say it does. Uh, it did take me back a little bit to a couple of people I played with when I was younger. Same. I grew up in Wisconsin, and Gygaxian players are all over. Yeah, when I was young, um, I started very young. I, I started uh, in the end of elementary school, beginning of middle school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was the youngin on the block and there seemed to be three kinds of groups. There was the, the old Gygaxian grognards, uh, kind of like <laughs> in that story, uh, there was the, the, the groups where everyone was elitist and snobbish. And then there was the, the goof off, you know, can't get their stuff together kind of groups. Um, it, it was hard to find anything in the middle where I grew up. Mm. I feel like uh, elitists where I grew up kind of got laughed at because there were so many Gygaxian grognards and so many youngsters who kind of learned by playing with them. That the the whole idea of being elitist about your group and everything was just like, yeah, but Joe and his buds play and they've been playing since it came out. You're clearly not better than them at this. They have a whole basement dedicated just to making their own miniatures. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's what I ran into a lot. Uh, of course, when I started playing, that was before the internet, before... Uh, social media and all all that good stuff so um you know you know back then if you wanted to find a group you basically went down to your closest comic shop um Mm -hmm. and put a little thing up on the bulletin board or looked for one on the bulletin board or just waited and talked to people you know people you interacted face to face with um so it was a little bit harder to find the groups and you didn't always know what you were getting into until you were into it (laughs) (laughs) yeah i remember that ah man i was young but i still did similar things um all right that trip down memory lane over let's move on to the next question uh this question isn't really related directly uh but we'll ask it anyway i want to add some more realism to my game. What would you recommend to include, and what would you stay away from to make it both fun, but also realistic, and maybe even gritty? Um, personally, uh, I see where it relates a little bit simply because of going back to older style gaming. For me... True. True, true. For me, 5th uh, edition is very forgiving, and that's a good thing. It's great on a storytelling basis uh, but it does take definitely. some of the oh sorry go ahead definitely um i'm a huge fan of of 5e in f- mostly for its versatility oh absolutely and you know although it's notoriously deadly up to level five after that it, it's very forgiving 
and it's very flexible and you can do so much with it. But to make it a little bit grittier, what I tend to do, if that's the type of story or game I'm trying to relate, is to, one, take away the all your health points come back when you rest. Mm. I go back to like a modified natural healing, where basically you if you get tore up, you're either going to have to use spells or you're going to have to heal naturally. Um, you're going to get... Hold on a second. <clears throat> that's better. Um you're going to basically get one hit point per level plus your con mod uh, back for a long rest. Uh, you know, you get an extra hit point back if it's a day of bed rest, an extra point back if you're being tended to medically, or two for a day of bed rest where you're being tended to. Uh, but that takes away that safety blanket of all we got to do is make camp and we're okay. Uh, the other thing I do is I, I use the variant, uh, that's in the books for lingering injuries that, that makes it a little bit more realistic too. You can't just get beat on all day, pop a heal spell and be okay. You know, as far as what I'd stay away from healing bad guys, uh, yeah. it's re it, it's realistic. I mean, if, if you've got uh healers in your party the bad guys probably would be wise enough to do the same but it really serves no purpose to the story and it drags fights out that to reach the same result it just takes longer turns them into a slog yeah i mean and in the in the vein of the natural healing as you make camp and everything another way that i've done it is you camped in a dangerous spot you are going to get interrupted. Oh, absolutely. And it's not a it's not a question of how well you see them coming or anything like that. You're in the middle of a dungeon and you decided to close off the room. Well, they they can smell the smoke. They know you're in there. They're beating down the door. Yeah, and they're probably all ganging up right outside the door before they do it. Yeah. You're going to go into combat if you try to rest here. As simple as that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and I use the same the, the same strategy and the same technique, don't get me wrong. But I've still ran into situations where they go, "Okay, well if we can get away uh, if we can get away and just camp, we'll have our hit points back, we're fine." Yeah. Uh, that that this doesn't is, work for me. This is one thing that I do like doing. Uh so especially for newbies, I kept the all right, you're resting, you can heal up. But Every dungeon crawl, the thing that they need to get is levels and levels deep. Each yeah. level is relatively small, but monsters don't stop moving around. So no. I keep track of, all right, this monster has entered the level above you. If you try to go back now, you'd have to face it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. They, they don't stop moving around. Uh, dungeons are for me are basically a living entity it's a character all onto itself and it doesn't rest just because you do yeah and so trying to get out to rest and then come back by the time you come back the entire tomb is filled up with monsters again and you're gonna have to fight your way to the exact same point you were at and probably get just as hurt probably more so i mean now they've had time to shore up they they know you're coming now 
Um, yeah, and, no, and oh, if it's wild animals, you don't know what entered there. It could be more dangerous. It could be less dangerous. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, that's. Uh, it sounds like we're on the same page on that. Yeah, I, I am a big proponent of this concept of dungeons, tombs, uh, anywhere that you delve into. Really, even a like enemy base or a castle or something that you're attacking. They're a living entity in so much as the people that are there or monsters that are there know about you and probably have a vested interest in stopping you and protecting the area. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if, if it was your house and someone was breaking in, you'd protect it. Um, yeah. And, they, and they're going to do the same, pure and simple. They're going to group up. They're going to shore up. They might even call for reinforcements. So this, this last question kind of actually harkens back to the start of this episode. How do you set up NPCs as enemies, making them hateable, but relatable? Uh, personally, and everyone has their own style, of course. For me, um, making them hateable, but relatable, it's easy to make someone hate an NPC. I, I have them constantly be a thorn in their side so to speak constantly in their face uh, maybe indirectly but everything that's bad that's happening ties back to them somehow um hmm. that that usually does it for the hate as far as relatable uh personally i drop lore um i i make sure that they have a good reason for what they're doing they're not just evil for the sake of evil but they have a, a goal in mind for a reason that is a good reason. They're just going about it a horrible way. Um, and I make sure that by the time the players get to that bad guy, as they're working towards them, they start learning of that so that they can relate. They can feel for him. They understand or her, they understand the pain. They understand the motivation, they just know that they're going about it the wrong way and they have to be stopped. Um, my goal, more often than not, is to make sure that they feel bad that they have to kill this guy. <laughs> I mean, it, it is also a case, though, where there's a delicate balance. Uh, you can make an NPC likable and relatable to the point where the players start calling for their redemption arc. Oh, absolutely. And I love that, too. I absolutely love that. And that can be fun in and of itself. If it's not necessarily the story you want to tell, you want to make sure that you don't fall that deep into making them likable. Uh, but if you're okay with that, lean into it and make the actions have consequences. I think that one of the best stories I've told uh, relates to basically... The players decided to relate super hard to this criminal that guided them around and ended up with them destabilizing the entire underground as this relatable NPC became the new chief underboss or whatever you will, boss of the underground gangs. And he consolidated everything in a bloody war. That is awesome. That's absolutely amazing, and I love it. Um, and it's entirely because they decided, we like this guy. We're going to help him out instead of letting him die. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. If, if you can get them to relate enough, they'll do that. They'll, they'll do what they can to redeem them and they'll try to put them in a good spot. I've had my players do that a number of times, usually a, a crime boss or some type of warlord. Um, yeah, it definitely doesn't help that he was their weed dealer. <laughs> right. Right. No, I, I even had, um, ironically enough, uh, my wife and I's solo campaign, uh, biggest challenge i've ever faced by the way <laughs> running running a long running open-ended solo campaign <laughs> uh, but earlier on in the campaign there was one point where she infiltrated one criminal organization found a guy she liked from an opposing organization and when all was said and done he ended up getting pulled out and turned into a legitimate uh captain of the guard for a trading post <laughs> Well, I, I think that that probably led to uh, no small amount of um, unnecessary cargo checks and fines. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, and and it 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 played out well. It it kept going for a while in that campaign. Little little uh, Easter egg, so to speak. People getting busted yeah. for smuggling at the trading post, like you say, unnecessary uh, tariff, so on and so forth. <laughs> Yeah, I, I feel like that is something that can really make uh, your NPC, as an enemy, um, relatable as well. Is just like when you interact with them, it changes the world around you and they change their actions depending on their situation. Oh, ab um, absolutely. I mean, some of them, you, you've got to have some bad guys that you can't sway. Don't get me wrong, but... More often than not, if you can make a compelling argument at my table, if you can make the right uh, decisions with them, you can change their their actions. And at, at my table, one of the things that I've done is, well, you, you can sway him. He now likes you. He's still going to kill you, but now he feels bad about it. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. It's, it's the whole... Uh, uh, I'm still going to kill you, but I feel bad, or I'll let you live instead of killing you. That doesn't make us friends kind of deal. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, really great having you on. Really enjoyed this talk. Um, but I think that we are at time. Uh, so I just want to say thank you to the listeners as well. Uh, this has been running the table with my guest today, Rick, from Unruly Arcana. Please follow any links in the description of this podcast and check it out, support them. And I'd also like to thank you for listening. And if you find yourself with questions that you want answered about anything tabletop role-playing game related, please send them to rttpodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach me at Running the Table on both Twitter and Facebook. <laughs>